what are we starting with? I think because it is so pertinent to us and was an international event, we can probably talk about the massive flooding that has taken place in BC over this last week. Okay, fine. I'm sure most of you have heard about this at this point, but there was some severe flooding in the middle of November throughout the interior of BC, which has, in fact, led to flooding and mudslides that have destroyed all viable transportation routes from Vancouver to the rest of the province. So Chelsea is now residing in the great island nation of Vancouver. I reside on the interior, which is still Canada. It's not really island because it's still connected to the United States. So routes are still open. They can make it to you through the United States. But it has sent all of the lower mainland into a panic that it's doomsday. And they must buy all the produce, dairy, meat, pretty much everything. Actually, I went to the grocery store and like a lot of dry goods are missing as well. Oh, Because funny, um, we're experiencing the same thing here, but difference here is nobody's stocking up on dried goods. Yeah, what had happened and I found out was we have had some extreme weather events. We've had two so far this season, I guess we get rainy season. We're the Pacific Northwest for our winter. We've had two, what if they called it river in the sky? An atmospheric river atmospheric river we've had two of them that was i can't remember what day of the week it was but even for me i'm on a little bit higher ground we're not directly on a floodplain. even going to work there is a lot of flooding that day the city of abbotsford i found out was once a lake called sumas lake that was drained and a first nation reserve was completely displaced and kicked off and put onto a reserve where that was their ancient land and hunting grounds they had a whole community there they drained the lake it was a huge lake and they proceeded to use it as farming land which was very fertile fertile yeah yeah really great basically yeah yeah i think an interesting part about things used to being lakes is that If you get a lot of water, they become lakes. They want to be a lake. Basically, with the torrential downpour, the lake filled back up. The whatever it is, I can't remember what they called. They failed, essentially, and everyone had to be evacuated. Tons of animals died. It's very sad, actually. I listened to one interview, and it was a farmer who had just sold his entire flock of chickens. Half of it had been picked up on Sunday, and then the other half was set to be picked up I believe Monday night, it didn't get picked up in time and he lost 40,000 chickens. They all just drowned. Yeah, it's very sad. And he hasn't even been able to go in and like clean anything up. So there's just... Yeah, they're actually bringing in the military for that Canadian Armed Services. The farmers were actually told to just abandon their animals because of course they were staying trying to rescue them and they were told eventually that it was too dangerous and they had to leave the animals and leave. So that's part of the panic coming from people stockpiling dairy and meat right now because this is going to affect the supply chain even into other provinces with it. I mean, probably small into Alberta, but it'll still make a difference. Oh, it's going to be huge. Vancouver's the largest port in Canada. Yeah. The supply lines that were already fairly backed up and on thin ice for continuing as is are now severely hampered again. And then there's a couple other towns more inland, closer to Taylor, Merritt and Princeton, was it, that had to be evacuated. They were completely underwater as well. And then three major highways, 
had mudslides and bridges taken out on them doing a lot of damage. There is now a state of emergency they enacted. The most recent happenings in all of this panic buying in BC is that there's came into effect on Friday, you're only allowed to do 30 liters of gas in order to preserve what we can and that for the emergency vehicles for the emergency vehicles. Yes. And they this um, is the first time since World War Two that BC has had any type of gas rationing. Oh, really? But it is the honor system. Yes. It is the honor system. So I'm full of gas. I didn't have to do gas. I didn't have to go get gas. That was a nice sentence there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So (laughs) apparently I've been seeing on my Facebook that there's people were looking everywhere to try and get gas as there is such a rush on gas stations because people were not honoring this and decided to go fill up as many jerry cans as they could and not stick to the 30 liters of gas and i was just telling taylor that we went to a place by a gas station and we noticed that they're out of regular gas and it was supreme that they're filling up for regular oh yeah the panic buying begins they probably just shouldn't have said anything and we would have been the same i think you could have just discreetly said things to industry groups and say hey cap purchases and you could have been fine just like that it would have been fine because they were saying someone made a post that one of the gas stations saw triple what they would on a regular day just goes to show you a valuable lesson should we ever do merchandise we need to limit every purchase to three true on the honor system on the honor system that's a very good idea and Make yeah, it some sort of official announcement. Most of our fresh produce comes from the highways that were all destroyed. The highways that were destroyed all pass through huge mountain ranges. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to build roads there. So they just had these big major roads and they're all destroyed. There is no viable way to stay in Canada and get from Vancouver to anywhere else in the province, really, at this point. Oh, right. Save now, for the no. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they are yes. working on it. Now, Kelowna and the interior is all experiencing severe produce shortage. I shouldn't say severe, just produce shortages. Because I find hilarious because if you're panic buying, you should be buying dried and canned goods because those will last. Yeah, in an emergency. But we're also very clearly open on the other side. So everything's going to be stocked up. We're just seeing the wonderful gift that is modern day man. In which we saw when the pandemic first happened and we were going into lockdown, everybody needed toilet paper. Yeah. And I think the thing to draw from this is climate change is a bitch. It is. I know we're having some really major contrasting events because we saw record-breaking heat wave, a heat dome during the summer. And there is a post going around Instagram, I think it was, showing the highways on fire during the summer. And then the flooding on the Coquihalla and the bridge gone, that's just happening. So we're seeing some pretty major effects of climate change, I would say for sure. Yeah. And I guess we'll keep everybody updated on this one. This is one that we can probably keep fairly well in the know on. Yeah. (laughs) Especially with the gas. Yeah. (laughs) But with that, we are going to move into our Christmas lineup. There will be a new theme song coming out. Let's just see what happens. I wonder what it's going to sound like. From the unexplained to the candy caned, come join us on our holly, jolly, 
Journey to the Fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, the podcast just on the other side of the veil of normality. That is just one step away in the fifth direction that air conditioner repairmen don't tell you about. (laughs) I am Taylor, along here with my co-host Chelsea, and today we are getting just a little bit more festive than we normally are. Yeah, unless you're listening to our Halloween episodes. We were pretty festive then. I don't know, is it festive when it's Halloween? I think so. Okay. Spooky? Okay, we're not spooky this time. We're not spooky we're this jolly. time around. A little spooky. We thought that we would have a nice, wonderful, festive month and take a look at the fringiness that is modern day Christmas. There are many things attached to it, of which there are many different directions to go that you might not know about. Today, we are going to be talking about all of the things that Christianity and Christmas may have borrowed from other places in its celebration of Christmas. I think the easiest way to go is we're going to talk a little bit about the first Christmas. No, not the not the first one, the other one. From okay. there, we're going to talk about religions in place around Christianity as it came into place. And then we're going to look at the spread of Christianity and other cultures that may have impacted this. So without further ado, let's get this thing started. Chelsea, how are you with the history of Christianity? Not... Great. Okay. Christianity doesn't really start until you at least have a Jesus Christ show up on the scene. Did it not exist before that time? Oh no, it's based on on Jesus. And for a long time they were persecuted, but the main thing being here that Christianity grew up under the thumb of the Roman Empire. As it was spreading, the great empire around was the Roman Empire. And eventually Rome does adopt Christianity as its one true religion. This I thought is it was Catholicism. Catholicism is a narrow sect of the entire branch being Christianity. <gasps> I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. We're already but, learning things. Yeah. So Constantine, Emperor Constantine, is credited with being the Emperor of Rome who officially transferred over from the Roman gods to a Christian empire. He also Mm -hmm. moved the capital to Constantinople, but that's a whole different story that we're not going to be talking about at this point. Instead, we're going to focus on the first Christmas, which took place in 336 CE. That is the first officially credited Christmas. Of course, we're not Mm -hmm. talking about the manger story. Okay. You're talking about the actual celebration of such an event. It took place on December 25th, 336 CE. Actually, just in time. That was Emperor Constantine's last Christmas because he died the next year. <gasps> his first and his last. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of epic, Converted but okay. just in time. <laughs> but it's kind of weird to actually have it happen at such a point in time because many historians find it hard to actually pin down when Jesus' birth would have taken place. They're fairly certain, though, it wouldn't be Christmas, the winter season. It's much more likely to have happened in the spring because the manger story takes place with a lot of shepherds. There are shepherds in the story, and shepherds would not have their flock out like they do in the story. Had it taken place in winter, it's much more likely to have taken place in spring. I also have that in my notes, so remind me to skip it when I start talking about it. (laughs) 
Okay. And there are actually other answers as to why December 25th is. When they celebrate Christmas, it has to do with something about Jewish calendar timing for birth. Okay. But we're going to just skip over that because I, I don't care about that for right now. Hmm. Instead, it's just very convenient that it happens to line up almost exactly to the day with the biggest holiday of the Roman calendar of Saturnalia, a week-long festival starting on December 17th and going until December 25th. During this time in Rome, all business was suspended and everybody partook in holiday cheer. So now, what is, sorry, I just have to ask the question. Saturnalia, is this the first Christmas you were talking about? No, this is the holiday that takes place from December 17th to December 24th. Okay, okay. So it's just happens to really coincide with where they decided to put Christmas on the calendar. Okay. Now, what is Saturnalia? It is more or less a harvest festival because Italy is in the Mediterranean and they have very different seasons and they get a winter harvest. This was a festival praying to the god of Saturn, who is the equivalent of Cronus in Greek mythology, the god of harvest, god okay. of seeds, god of time. I was hoping you'd tell us. Yes. And you did. Thank you. You're welcome. And I must have been so confused growing up because I always thought Saturn was Zeus's wife. I can't remember who it is off the top of my head right now. Isn't it Helena? Not Helena. Hera. Yes. But I don't know her name in Roman. I always thought it was Saturn. I don't know it in Roman. And it, I always thought it was that because Jupiter and Saturn were right beside each other. They were married. Made sense. But apparently I've been wrong. I learned a lot in this research. Anyhow. So if I actually, and I actually don't think I ever thought about it when I was a kid. So you okay. went up on me, even though you were wrong. Saturn is a very interesting god because he ruled over time and he ruled over the world in its golden age. What a lot of Saturnalia's traditions are, are to take humans back to the golden age by flipping roles and having some absurdity. I like it already. So the biggest part here is, well, it is the feasting, the merriment, the gifting, but the big one that we would not really be aware of is the flipping of the roles. So slaves were treated either as equals or above their owners during this week eating okay. at the same table as the master and being allowed to insult them for that one week. Of course, <laughs> slaves did show some restraint as they knew this time would come to an end. And you know, owners can get hurt feelings too. Yeah, I was just thinking, is this where the original roast came from? It really could be. <laughs> Depending on where you look and which like people you'd be looking at, some people would eat with their slaves. In some places, like the owner, the masters would feed their slaves and be the staff for the event and then eat after them. But it's really a flipping of the traditional roles. In the same sense, there was a deemed king of Saturnalia whose decrees needed to be followed by all. They would pick somebody who is exact opposite of what you would expect as a ruler. Generally, it would be if you're in a household, a child would be named the king of Saturnalia nice. for your household. Or they would pick homeless people. I believe Nero served as the king of Saturnalia when he was really little. And do you know Nero? Yeah, it sounds familiar. He's one of the not great emperors. Mm -hmm. Exactly and, what I was going to say. Okay. But yeah, they would just pick somebody random and the king of Saturnalia could make any capricious demand he wanted, such as sing naked or throw him into the cold water. And anybody who could hear it had to obey. I really wish that would have stuck around as an actual part of Christmas. I think it was the nudity part everybody kept talking about. I mean, you could still observe it if you wanted to. It wasn't really a decree you could not listen to, because it was the king of Saturnalia. We could bring it back. 
And yeah, it was really just meant to create misrules and chaos and an absurd world and really contrast like the idea of the Roman Emperor as being this all-knowing, all-powerful being. Not all-knowing, all-powerful, but somebody who could brandish out laws and justice and really just putting somebody else in that spot who makes absurd and outlandish desires made into law. Okay. At one point, Mark Anthony, who was one of the generals under Julius Caesar, he actually gave the title of King of Saturnalia to Julius Caesar. Everybody got really pissed off because it was supposed to be a joke title. And they're like, no, he gets to be Caesar every other day. (laughs) Not this time, motherfucker. (laughs) While this was going on too, everybody donned much more colorful, festive clothing. They were known as synthesis. Likewise, everybody wore hats. Roman citizens of status normally went about bareheaded, but for the Saturnalia, they donned the pileus, the conical felt shape that was the usual mark of the freedman. Slaves who ordinarily were not entitled to wear the pileus wore it as well so that everyone was pileated without distinction. And I do just need to show you the beautiful hat. Are you wearing one? I can't see anything. No. <laughs> okay. I unfortunately do not own a pileus. So that's a Pileus. Okay, that looks like the Spanish hats. I think they really look like Christmas Santa hats, just without the cotton. They're not bad hats. I mean, they're simple. They should make a comeback. They should. Is that the idea for the hat you had? Yes. So we need to be selling these things, the Pileus. Also, a great tradition of Saturnalia was, of course, the gambling. Oh, how they gambled with such festive cheer. Dice being thrown along the hallways and alleyways throughout Rome. This was the only time of year where it was culturally accepted to actually gamble. Some of it was illegal, but a lot of it was just looked down upon. But this was the time of year where you could whip out those sets of dice and just throw them in the street and see who wants to play. (laughs) During the festivities of Saturnalia, many people would be bounding down the streets and you would hear the pleasant festive cheers of Yo Saturnalia, which was what you would say, and it means Happy Saturnalia. Of course, every day had a feast on it throughout Saturnalia, as low wine was included. There was also gift giving. Children received toys as gifts. Many poems written around this time. They named both expensive and cheap gifts, including writing tablets, dice, knuckle bones, money boxes, combs, toothpicks, hats, hunting knives, axes, various lamps, balls, perfumes, pipes, a pig, a sausage, a parrot, tables, cups, spoons, items of clothing, statues, masks, books, and pets. And even some is expensive or as exotic as animals from Africa or slaves. So that's gifts were given a plenty throughout Saturnalia. Okay. And patrons or bosses might also pass along a gratuity to their poor clients or employees or dependents to help them buy gifts. That's nice. And importantly, just to add a little bit here, Romans also gave gifts of candles. And candles were an important part of Saturnalia because it signified the hope of light to come after the darkness of winter. Mm-hmm. And right there is the tradition of Christmas lights. Oh, like Christmas yeah. lights on the houses. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. So, so far, sorry, I should go over this. What we've covered is feasting, which is not necessarily just a Saturnalia thing. The hats, for sure, gifts, and candles. 
or at least decorating with candles and yeah. lights. There's also, this is the first holiday that's really known about that celebrated by bringing a tree indoors. The earliest mentions we have of a tree associated with a spiritual or religious celebration is the fir tree that is brought indoors in the ancient Roman festival of Saturnalia. The Romans would also use fir branches as decor inside and outside the buildings. Celebrate fertility, abundance, and life in the depths of winter. And wear wreaths of fir on their head as Romans believed it stayed off drunk. Holly was also a plant sacred to the god Saturn, and the ancient Romans used it liberally as a decoration during the Saturnalia festivities. Ivy was sacred to Bacchus, the god of wine and revelry, and was also used all over Rome in celebration of Saturnalia. It was also a symbol of marriage and friendship, and Saturnalia was a time of family and friends to come together. Ancient Greeks first began the tradition of kissing under the mistletoe as well, which the Romans adopted as part of the Saturnalia feast, and would sometimes settle wartime agreements under a mistletoe sprig, making it a symbol of peace. As an evergreen plant, it was also used as a symbol of abundance and fertility in Saturnalia's decorations. And the last big thing that I believe Christmas borrowed from Saturnalia was caroling. During Saturnalia, people would go singing door to door, but fortunately for us, caroling of today does not entirely mimic another Saturnalia tradition, running through the streets naked and singing. The latter is the reason that Throughout the centuries, Christian churches have wavered on their policy about caroling with the idea that singing coincides with debauchery. So that's Saturnalia in a nutshell. Nice. Yeah. I had no idea about it. Yeah, it's an interesting holiday. I would really like to bring back the more role flipping idea of the holiday, but technically we don't have slaves anymore, so it's a lot harder to like pin down what we flip. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I do like that. True. What do we flip? Oh, and one last thing. I didn't write it down, but I did remember reading it. Some households would choose the king of Saturnalia by baking cakes and having a coin inside, and whoever got the cake with the coin would be the king of Saturnalia. Hmm. But then Which, oh, maybe it's a little bit more random than just picking the opposite of what you would think would be a king. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because I do know a lot of people do have holiday activities like that. Or we'll put like a coin in a cake. The Spanish do. Yeah. So they have the coin. Oh, what is the other thing? And a bean. And they both go in? Yeah. Oh. But yeah, that's what I got on Saturnalia. Now, I do know that part of the reason... Christmas was able to spread so fast and Christianity is because Rome had conquered most of Europe, particularly to the west of it. I was going to gonna ask about the that. So there's probably a lot of people celebrating it as they conquered. Yeah. And the conformity of what Rome did to Western Europe actually made it really easy to spread and why Saturnalia was so prominent throughout Western Europe and yeah. why probably a lot of the traditions come from that. Yeah. But east of the Danube, as I've always pronounced it, I don't know if that's correct, was never conquered by the Romans. And that is where the Norse and other pagan tribes inhabit. And Chelsea, I do in fact believe that you're going to have this part. Yeah, first off, Here's something that I learned. Just like when I learned about what the barbarians were, that was anyone going against Rome. The first thing I looked into that's going to lead eventually where I'm going to is what paganism is. Because looking into this, I kind of thought I had a rough idea about what it was. But then I looked up the definition and I was mind blown. 
is really wrong. So a pagan is, do you know what it is? I believe it's just a catch-all term for nature worshippers. So maybe I'm about to blow your mind too. A pagan is a person holding religious beliefs other than those of the main world religions. So where do they cut that off then? Basically Christianity. So well, basically No, because that would mean that Islam is a pagan. Uh, well, I think they yeah, consider that an, a major religion as well. So you see it when they were spreading Christianity mostly, when they're going through Europe and literally every religious system and belief held by the different cultures from the Norse, Druids, Celtics, maybe even the Romans. I don't know that they would consider themselves pagans, though, because they pretty much took Christianity under their wing. So they're all labeled pagans. So it's a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I did know it's a bunch of things. It's kind of like barbarians aren't just one group. They're I thought that it was a religion in itself, kind of, but... I know, that's kind of the way we use it in conversation, kind of makes it yeah. feel that way, but it's not, yeah. No, it's not. So what I'm talking about is Yule, which is, you guessed it, a pagan religion, obviously. It's another holiday which we heavily draw our Christmas traditions from prior to the Christian efforts to replace the pagan celebration to focus more on baby Jesus. So I'm going to talk about Yule and then I'm going to talk about some things that Taylor already covered with just some specific things that we have an arc Christmas celebration now that we see and where we kind of draw that from before it kind of was put together to be more fitting with Christianity and capitalism. Because let's say we draw heavily on that for Christmas now. Yule is one of the oldest winter holiday celebrations originally observed by the Germanic slash Norse peoples. You're going to see a lot of similarities between Yule and Saturnalia because basically I mean it's kind of I don't want to say primitive but when you're in the dark of winter everyone's gonna celebrate yeah. the light coming back essentially basically all groups have some sort of winter solstice holiday yeah so Yule goes back a super long time with the first mentions in text being the form of the names of months, which lasted around two months during the winter from about November, December, January. This one was dating back from about the fourth century and eventually it became the 12 days of Yule centered around the solstice. Yule marks the arrival of the winter solstice, a fairly common celebration in the Northern hemisphere, like we were just talking about. It is the celebration of the promise of light, again, triumphing over the darkness and the rebirth of the sun as the days start to get longer we all look forward to the sun too now even now having lights that we can sit inside and this is before they even had that um it's also the celebration of the completion of another yearly cycle of life death and rebirth for the crops to come in the coming year yule has ties to the wild hunt the god odin increased supernatural activity such as the wild hunt and the supernatural when the veil between the living and dead is the thinnest it's not halloween in this instance i'm gonna touch on a few of these things that I just talked about coming up. The festivities lasted three, then eventually 12 days, hence the 12 days of Christmas. And I believe Saturnalia was... No, Saturnalia was a week. Yeah. Yeah, and included lots of drinking, feasting, family, friends, neighbors, and sacrificing. This was also a time of contracts and oaths, such as marriages, just like you said for Saturnalia. I actually didn't read anything about Saturnalia before this. That's a super brief synopsis of Yule. And now I'm going to get into some things. <laughs> 
What do you call them? Traditions that were stolen. So first and foremost, I'm going to look at Santa. In Yule, we have Odin, who is the Norse god. And he is the original. And all other Santas are mere ripoffs of Odin. But not ripoffs. Some others are based on Odin and others are based on completely different people. But Odin is now my favorite. And I feel like Odin needs to make a comeback as Santa. So during Yule, all gods are honored during this time, especially Odin. Toasts were to be drunk, and the first toast was to be drunk to Odin for victory and power to the king. What traits, you ask, does Santa have that probably most likely come from Odin? Well, the first, Odin crosses the sky during the nights of Yule, rewarding the good and punishing the bad, because we still love some good karma, and Santa does that. During the wild hunt led by Odin, he would race across the windy, dark, cold night skies, leading his pack of gods, elves, beasts, and ancestral spirits in the great hunt against the ice giant and the forces of darkness. The ice giants. There's yeah. more than one. Ice giant. And the forces of darkness. This took place across the entire world. And the wild hunt was linked to winter storms and dangerous omens, especially associated with the 12 nights of Yule. While the wild hunt was going down, those who provoked the gods could risk bad luck or even worse, Odin's wrath, and those who did good would receive good fortune and gifts. So generally, everyone just stayed inside and feasted during Yule. <laughs> Because we wanted to risk that. In Tales, <clears throat> Odin knew if someone was good or bad. And he was an all-knowing god. And he sent out his two ravens to collect news from the nine worlds. Odin was known for giving away gifts. In addition to creating the world and giving people life. Thank you, Odin. He would also randomly show up and give a nice person that is nice and worthy a special item that they needed. One of Odin's favorite forms was that of an old white bearded traveler clad in a cloak and broad-brimmed hat, which we see in the more vintage Santas, as well as Father Christmas, which is all prior to Coca-Cola reinventing the Santa that we all know today. He used his cloak as a disguise while he traveled the nine worlds seeking knowledge. Odin is said to have inspired the Dutch Sinterklaas. I really like how that rolls off the tongue. Yule eventually underwent Christianization, which led to Christmastide, but first Christmastide had to undergo some tribulations. Christmastide started to be celebrated in C, I don't know what C means, 1010 to 1300. I don't know, but that sounds like know. a time period of 300 yeah. years that it was done. C, representing a continuation of pre-Christian midwinter celebrations in Britain. Other Christmas does not make an entry until the Puritans come along in the 16th and 17th century in England and Christmas becomes public enemy number one. This is the original public enemy number one. And they ban Christmas. This is a very simplized version of events I found out. I didn't even know there was a war on Christmas. <laughs> this is just for the benefit of me telling you where Father Christmas comes from, by the way. It's not a complete history of Christmas. A play is written in protest to Christmas being public enemy number one. It's written in protest as the perceived levels of general joy and merriment are on the decline. The play is written with heavy personification and allegory which makes Christmas into a real person. This is a very rough idea of where Father Christmas comes from and he represented the good old days during the many years the Puritans banned Christmas. So this is Father Christmas personifying Christmas. This is titled The Vindication of Christmas. So you see this Puritan maybe? 
come out, you come not here. And here's Father Christmas. Oh, sir, I bring good cheer. Old Christmas welcome. Do not fear. Tear? I think fear. And he would be probably the one that wants Christmas to come back. So I just wanted to show you how, like, this guy, Father Christmas, is personified here and how he looks. Yeah, Christmas and the guy who doesn't want Christmas has frills all over his yeah. pantaloons. Yeah, he's looking pretty <clears throat> fancy. And a feather And in then his I cap. just wanted to show you here, Father Christmas here. And this is what Odin supposedly looks like. Yeah. I don't think that's an actual photograph of Odin. I hope it's not. Because that's going to really change my understanding of Norse yeah. mythology. <laughs> that's Father Christmas and Odin, who I chose to mostly focus on. But I just wanted to mention some honorable stolen Santa. St. Nicholas, obviously, he's not stolen, but I thought I might as well mention it. Because this is where everyone says Santa comes from. But I call BS because he's clearly based on Odin. St. Nicholas was a saint who loved giving gifts. He was also the patron saint of children, the poor and prostitutes, to name a few. There's a whole of them. He came from modern day Turkey and his most popular story of being so kind and giving is that he met a kind impoverished man who had three daughters. Saint Nick is said to have rescued the girls from being forced into prostitution by dropping a sack of gold coins through their window of their house each night for three nights so their father could pay a dowry for each of them. That's Santa. Any questions about Santa? Actually, it makes a lot of sense with the other things I know about Odin that he would be Santa because he has the two ravens and one of the ravens can always tell when you're lying and the other one can see yeah. into the future. So they kind of go nicely with Santa's kind he of He goes power. with the like check in the list twice. Yeah. And it's amazing actually when I started, maybe I should save this for the end, but it's on my mind right now. It's amazing the amount of traditions of how we see Christmas now were based on like early poems, like the night before Christmas. Yeah. Is what is completely shaped how we look at Christmas. Anyhow, next topic is Santa's elves. So I'm going to relate this back to Yule again, which you're going to find I'm going to do quite a lot. Odin had, and you're not going to see Saturnalia at all because I it was not my job to look at Saturnalia, by the way. <laughs> So it's really missing from these lists. Though there is some cross-contamination. Taylor did a lot of these traditions were shared across Europe, I guess. Yeah, the Roman they Empire. They just made sense. Yeah, they just made sense. Relating back to Yule again with the elves, Odin had magical elves known as the Hidden Folk, as well as dwarves who were specifically known for being makers of gifts. One of them, Thor's Hammer, the elves were known as well as Odin's men, and they were creators of wondrous things such as Odin's magical spear and, of course, Thor's hammer. Elves are also said to be just a general mashup of this Norse legend with other European cultures and myths regarding elves, fairies, and nature spirits. In various regions of Europe, there were similar supernatural beings that can be connected to elves. For example, kobolds from Germany, house spirits named brownies in Scotland, and in medieval Europe, elves were seen as nefarious and were often linked to demons. Now, that's not necessarily saying that elves are demons and we didn't steal that but i also want to point out here the supernatural tie again because this used to be a very supernatural time of year next one is reindeer so of course Odin, my favorite, had a flying horse named Sleipner, who I hope I said that right. I most likely did not. Odin would ride him through the skies during the wild hunt. The wild hunt. I was going to call it the Great War, but that was right. (laughs) Thank you for that. Sleipner was known for having eight legs. 
and not only for flying but also having a sleigh. Original Santa rode on a horse. The concept of reindeer was introduced in the poem Twas the Night Before Christmas. And going to war, Odin rode on Sleipner's back. There's also a poem that makes mention of Sleipner pulling a sleigh and I mean, it was in Northern Europe, so there is snow. In this area, chariots are replaced by sleighs. And that's an area where you'd also see reindeer were known to pull sleighs around when there is lots of snow. So that's reindeer. My next stolen idea is stockings. So when it comes to Yule, children would leave their shoes out by the hearth on the eve of the winter solstice with sugar and hay for Odin's eight-legged horse, Sleipner. He sounds really cute and not terrifying at all with eight legs. (laughs) (laughs) Odin would reward the children for the food for Sleipner by replacing it with gifts or candy. The other story of stockings, which I didn't feel right including St. Nicholas, but I just felt like we're talking about it, so I might as well put it in. St. Nicholas, the famous story that I told you about saving the poor man's daughters from prostitution. The story goes that, well, one of the stories, one of the versions of it, that he had thrown the gold coins directly into stockings hung over the fire to dry. So those are the stolen stocking ideas. Next up is the Christmas tree. Basically, all the European cultures decorated with evergreen during the winter, as Taylor said, for Saturnalia. There's just something about a green tree when all the other trees have lost their leaves during a dark and dreary winter, hence the popularity of the pine, spruce, and fir trees. They were reminiscent of life, renewal, and peace during Yuletide. For this, they're even attributed magical qualities. The evergreen also reminded of the green trees that would come once the sun returned. For you all, evergreen trees are filled with gifts such as food carvings for the tree spirits to encourage them to return in the spring and this also symbolized the things they wanted for the coming year. Examples would include fruits for a successful harvest such as apples, hence the red ball on the Christmas trees. I think, maybe. Love charms for happiness, nuts for fertility, and (laughs) nuts for fertility. Jen's parents actually do a uh, walnut tree. So that's a key for that, yeah. Oh, true, yeah. And coins for wealth adorned with trees. For Saturnalia, which I read, I don't know if you came across this, Romans hung small metal ornaments on trees outside of their houses, presenting a god or the family's patron saint. It was also widely believed by many cultures that evergreens would keep away witches and evil spirits and illness. I covered Reese, Taylor covered Reese as well. Just like with Christmas trees, for you all, evergreen was also used to hang around doorways and windows. Romans made wreaths of holly in exchange as gifts for good luck. I'm only saying this again because I saw this, which makes it really interesting. Holly was the plant of choice. Like mistletoe, it was considered a sacred plant. At the time of Saturnalia, early Christians were starting to celebrate Xmas, Christmas. He didn't know what that meant. (laughs) I didn't translate it. However, they were persecuted for their practices. So in order to avoid detection, they would hang wreaths of holly to make it look as though they were celebrating Saturnalia, eventually just leading to it being a symbol of Christmas. 
Very interesting. So that's probably a heavy tie with wreaths of holly. Mistletoe, like Taylor said, it's a super sacred plant. You see all of these plants who remain green during the winter, they heavily rely on for these celebrations. Um, And in Norse mythology, mistletoe is incredibly important because it is the one plant that can damage Baldur, and Baldur's death brings about Ragnarok. Oh, thank you for knowing that. Yeah, it's fairly important to the story as well. There, there's yeah. a lot more to it than just that. But yeah, Boulder can't be damaged by anything but mistletoe. Basically, Taylor covered it all really nicely. Um, Celts believed the mistletoe warded off evil spirits and possessed healing powers. Basically, it was just a magical thing. And Taylor covered it with why you kiss under the mistletoe. It's just a sign of peace and fertility and stuff like that. My next stolen idea is the Netflix Christmas fire. <gasps> I love that channel. <laughs> I know. It's Actually, a it's channel. a little it's a little saddening that I remember going out to the bar or having it on TV. You're always we're looking for the guy to poke the fire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But now that you have it on Netflix, you can just put it on like times three or times two. And then you it's so much them. easier to find the guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so special. This tradition was started by the and you couldn't just Google this. I had to do some heavy research to find out where the Netflix Christmas fire came from originated. So the Yule log is a super like, famous tradition. It eventually became like a cake that you get, which I don't even know about that. I did see it come up a few times and I kept being asked why I'm looking at cakes. <laughs> the original Yule log was a whole tree meant to be burned for 12 days in the hearth, which I'm pretty sure means fire- fireplace. Hearth. hearth. That's a fireplace, right? Okay. I just put two and two together. People would travel into the woods to find the largest log they could, and this is what they would use to light the huge earth fires. That took a minute for my brain to remember how to say it. In the household and represent the light of the sun. Celts believed the sun stood still during the winter solstice, and by keeping the Yule log burning for these 12 days, encourages the sun to move and make the days longer. The largest end would be fed into the hearth, wine poured over it, Then they lit it with the remains of the previous year's Yule log. Everyone took turns feeding the length of the timber into the fire as it burned. Letting it burn out would bring bad luck. And the Vikings would burn large logs of oak inscribed with runes for good fortune in the coming year. I know you covered feast as well, but I'm going to cover it too. The origins of the feast with Yule, as I mentioned above, was the sacrifice to be made and the farmers went to the heathen temple and brought with them the livestock that they would need for the feast. They would slaughter the animals, they were killed and, well obviously they were killed, and the blood would be collected into vessels and sacrificial twigs would smear the blood on the pedestals of the idols and the walls of the temple. The meat of the animals would be served as the food for the feast, fires would be lit on the temple floor and the head of the boars would be considered the best part and would be served on the table with an apple in its mouth the origins of the Christmas ham. Generally speaking, solstice was a perfect time for a feast for different reasons at this time of year. Most animals were slaughtered so that they would not have to be fed during the winter. And for many, it was the only time of year when they had a supply of fresh meat. In addition, most wine and beer made during the year were finally fermented and ready for drinking. The feasting was also meant to signify the end of a harvest year. The work was done and nothing was left to be done in the field. So with all that downtime and the daylight gone, it was a perfect time to feast and be with family and friends and party it up. It also helped with seasonal depression. Little known fact. 
There's also the Wasail, which also has a, and I didn't make notes on this, I'm just going from memory. The Wasail, there's a few things. Wasail, they would go and sing with baskets to get people to fill their baskets. Sorry, I can't remember. They would also sing up trees for the fruit to come back at the end of the year. So, so this is part of Yule, is singing yes. up trees to make the trees grow fruit? Okay. So, which is where caroling comes from as well. Wasail also translates as good health, as in I drink to your good health. But it was also the alcohol punch made with the spice and fruit juice that was used to make a toast. The word toast comes from the toasted bread served with the brew. And if it also contained eggs, milk, or cream, it was called nog. So to go wassailing was like trick or treat for grownups. And I think I got that a little confusing there because I didn't put my full notes. I was just talking about the toast and getting alcohol for that. But there's a few things where they would go around wassailing. And I think it was that they went wassailing would be visiting the orchards to sing to the trees and spirits in the hope of ensuring a good harvest the following season, which also links to, I guess, making the cider because it also goes with the toast and drinking the fruit juices as i just said that's the end of my things we ripped off for christmas when it comes down to it there's not much denial that our modern day christmas was created by the christians in an effort to replace the pagan celebration to focus more on baby jesus pretty much everything about christmas has been stolen and extremely commercialized but i did think i have some really awesome christmas trivia if you want to take part sure let's do it the origins of jingle bells surprisingly racist the song or yeah. the okay the song it was penned by a northerner who proudly fought for the confederacy jingle bells never actually mentions christmas but it does talk about drag racing sleighs and picking up girls the song's composer james lord pierpont broke with his boston family's abolitionist stance and joined the south in the civil war where he wrote popular confederate anthems like we conquer or die jingle bells was originally titled one horse open sleigh and may have first been performed in blackface there you have it i did not know that yeah i don't think a lot of people did that's why it's in my trivia the santa tracker by norad all started by a wrong number in 1955 at the height of the cold war tensions with the soviet union the general at the continental air defense command conat in colorado received a call to a top secret hotline bracing himself for news of a missile attack the general instead heard the voice of a young boy asking are you really santa claus the number had been mistakenly published in the newspaper as a Sears Santa hotline. So I don't know why they only received one phone call. I believe it was one number off. At least how I heard the story is it okay. was one it number off. It very well could be. This is just yeah. a... They got summary. a lot of different missed phone number calls. Kids. <laughs> Instead of moving on with his life, the now North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD, embraced the role as the official Santa tracker, using its massive satellite network once a year to broadcast Santa's exact whereabouts. Today, 1,500 NORAD troops and volunteers answer phone lines on Christmas Eve. 
Yeah, I mean, that's pretty good PR for a military front. Yeah, it is. Last one. What else has happened on Christmas Day other than Jesus not being born? Lots, actually. 1776, George Washington led the Continental Army across the icy Delaware River in a surprise attack on the British forces. Charlemagne, the father of Europe, was crowned Emperor of the Romans by Pope Leo III on Christmas Day in the year 800 AC. The Treaty of Ghent officially ended the War of 1812, was signed on Christmas Day 1814. And the Apollo 8 crew orbited the moon for the very first time on Christmas Eve 1968, signing off their live TV broadcast with the memorable Merry Christmas and God bless all of you on the good earth. End. Okay. I did not know these things. I was very enlightened throughout all of this research. And Christmas, surprisingly, has a huge confusing history. It does, and it is hilarious that it took 300 years to finally actually celebrate it. Yeah, there was a big war on Christmas. They didn't like it. They didn't oh, like and in it the in middle Britain. too, yeah. I yeah. guess it does make sense, though, that it is kind of weird that we celebrate the birth. Like, you think you would celebrate the actions more so. But the birth really did take over. And I think it is because it had such good festivals to borrow from around yeah. it that made it a great festival. Stole it and then celebrated. I'll leave it at that. That is how we will end it today, I do believe. Thank you all for listening. We have many more festivities in store as we ramp up to the feast yeah the big feast that is christmas i think we can all be in agreement when i wish you all a yo saturnalia though yeah and we will see you next time hey thank you for listening to journey to the fringe if you have liked what you have listened to please like share subscribe or follow depending on what venue you are listening to us through also please if possible leave a five-star review as that really helps us in the algorithms should you wish to interact with us please check us out on your social media of choice i bet you we are there and if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes or tell us that we're wrong and terrible either way please send us an email at journey to the fringe at gmail.com for now i'll see you in the next episode